Our very existence depends on this. This black strength. Strength that has carried us for decades, but is undermining an important aspect of our humanity and feeding in on itself. Being strong all the time took away our ability to speak about our weaknesses, our sadness, our mental illnesses. This silence is killing us. Welcome to another edition of the Black Doctor Speak podcast. Black Doctor Speak is your source for vetted, accurate information on African-American health from some of the nation's top doctors and is sponsored by the African-American Wellness Project. Good evening, good evening, good evening, and thank you for joining Wellness Watch here on BlackDoctor.org, presented by the African-American Wellness Project. Uh, again, I am Ellis Dean, your co-host, because we know who the man of the hour is, and that is Dr. Michael Lador. But tonight we have a great, great program scheduled for you. We have a wonderful guest. It is Brian Shaw, former NBA player and coach Brian Shaw. So we've got a wonderful conversation with him about kids and sports. And so you don't want to miss that, so hang around so you can see Coach Shaw here with us this evening. Um, but first, we want you to always, like we tell you each week, let us know where you're watching from. So put that in the comment section. Let us know where you're watching from. We like to see where people are watching from all over the world. We've had people from as far away as South Africa watching this program. And so we'd love to see where you are watching us from. Also, if you have any questions for Coach Shaw or about anything that we discussed tonight, please also put that in the comment section. And finally, if there is something uh, that you hear tonight that you think other people need to know, tag a friend, share the show, let people know what we're here and what we're doing and what we're talking about here on blackdoctor.org in conjunction with the African-American Wellness Project. So I think I've said all the business uh, items out of the way there, Doc. How are you doing this evening? I'm doing fine, man. Uh, good uh, good to talk to you. Uh, great to have Coach Shaw now coaching with the uh, – LA Clippers, the one of the opposition teams here in the Bay Area and from Atlanta, but uh, obviously we need to go where we need to go to get the information that we need to have, and we're glad to have him because uh, we're getting ready to enter a whole new era uh, in which we're dealing with uh, sports and children in sports, and we need to talk about not only the uh, attitude of, of the uh, of the system itself but also uh, the children and also the parents. Uh, and so we have a lot to talk about today. We start out and we always want people to feel that when they listen to our show that we're talking to uh, you about some of the latest information. One of the most important things that I've seen today is that there's a new Delta virus called Delta Plus. Uh, and it's coming up through some of the countries in South America. Another only two cases in the States so far, but it, it's more even more infectious than the regular Delta virus. So all that means, and we're not gonna lecture today, all that means is we really gotta get everybody vaccinated because these viruses are gonna be smarter and smarter, uh, tougher and tougher to deal with. And so get just get vaccinated, that's all. So, all so the, Delta Plus, do you get an extra uh, baggage on the plane with Delta Plus or do you get to, to get in the front of the line with Delta Plus? Or, or is it just, you know, it <laughs> I, I don't get where they come up with these names. <laughs> it sounds like you need to reserve your ICU bed with the Delta Plus. <laughs> That's what it is. You get, you get the special you know, ICU bed. Okay. And, and this is kind of what we've expected all along. So uh, I think it's a, a variance. You know, there are lots of variants every day, but only a few uh, get the publicity that uh, these Delta viruses are getting. So that's one thing. The second thing today uh, that I saw that 
was the fact that um, um, a variety of organizations, to include the National Medical Association, have uh, insisted that we mandate that healthcare workers get vaccinated. Uh, that seems like a no-brainer to me. I mean, it seems like if you want to take care of people and you believe in the oaths that you've taken as nurses and doctors, that being vaccinated is a small price to pay to kind of complete that oath. And so these organizations, and I think we're starting to see more and more the news is tightening around unvaccinated people. Uh, another interesting statistic, uh, terrible statistic, is that African-American women still 41% more likely to die from breast cancer. Uh, and they demonstrated that um, that it, it it's it's diagnosed in earlier and younger women, uh, but it's diagnosed late. Uh, if you start at the same time with the same quality cancer, uh, and then we get the same outcomes, but it seems like we get to the doctor a bit too late in many instances. So consequently, that leads to poor outcomes, and that's not just true in breast cancer. That's true in prostate cancer colon cancer, heart disease. Almost Long cancer, you can go down the list. Right? You can go down the list. <laughs> you can go down the list. We get there too late. And that's what we're all about, the African-American. What is trying to get you there early? So we'll keep talking about the screening studies that you need. We're even going to have a contest to give away stuff to people who have all the numbers. The other thing we like to start to get is information, stories about how you've been treated in the healthcare system where you think that uh, there could be some improvements. And so we're gonna to start to listen to people's stories as well as part of our program. And finally, one that uh, you know bothers me a bit, that 740,000 people die of cancer related to increased um, amounts of alcohol. And it just has to be a little bitty glass. I thought it'd be two or three glasses, but uh, the World Health Association, Cancer Association says, uh, small glasses uh, of alcohol ha can have some impact on the cancer rates. Um, I guess I just better be prepared for some cancer. <laughs> because during this pandemic, we talked about this before. They got to tell me what a small amount is. I need to know what a small amount of alcohol is because what would be small to me may not be small to you. So small is relative. So let's, yeah. let's not make it so, you know. I look for some CCs too, but they, they didn't have anything. They just said the small glasses of alcohol can still cause problems. You know, one of the things that there's some certain things that that I think the health industry is is gunning for. One is caffeine, coffee intake. The other is alcohol intake, and the third, for some reason, is chocolate. I don't know why they want chocolate to be on, but they're maybe because of the sugar. Maybe because of the sugar that's in chocolate. All of these. That's why you have to be careful in right. reading scientific articles and see where they're from. Because one day you'll see the coffee is great, the next day you see coffee uh, is dangerous. Same thing with small amounts of alcohol. When an article last week that talked about people who drank alcohol, uh, at least maybe a couple glasses, uh, it improves your heart conditions. So, you know, I don't know what to do about chocolate, alcohol, uh, and caffeine. But I'm I don't think you're gonna stop drinking or eating or any of that going on. So I don't think there's any, but I think, in, in a general sense, though, Doc, I think what, what's happening is that's why a lot of people kind of tune out those studies because they're so contradictory. And mm -hmm. so we just kind of say, I like chocolate, I like coffee, and I like alcohol, so mm -hmm. I'm going to keep drinking it and let them figure it out because it might change to be good in a couple of years. So I might just go and keep on mm -hmm. drinking and, and eating. Well, my dad said, when I told him, you know, said, Dad, you know, uh, 
you know, drinking and alcohol, smoking cigarettes. You know, I read a lot of articles about that. He said, well, you need to stop reading. That was his response. He said he was going to stop reading these articles. So, so, but I do think that we have to really be diligent about giving you the information and helping you with some of the context. Uh, because I think they're gunning for alcohol, caffeine, and chocolate. And I don't, you know, I don't. Yeah, I think context is always key when we're talking about these things, because you're right, because alcohol can be good for you and it can extend your life. And people that don't drink typically live shorter lives on average than people that do drink. Now, it's what you're drinking it is that changes. If you're drinking a couple of glasses of, of red wine, you typically your health outcomes are better. If you're drinking, you know, two or three Long Island iced teas, I don't think that's going to prolong your life. So it's about the context of what you're doing that's no, going to change the outcome. No, no, we'll we'll try to stick with context as well because I'm sure that some of that wine I drank when I was younger could not be good. No, like, who's wrong and wild Irish rose is not going to get it done. Thunderbird, <laughs> those are varietals that I don't think. Well, very much, but we'll we'll talk about that. That that old stuff, uh, Doc. Mm -hmm. man, you can't. <laughs> yeah, man, I think we may have to. Look at the varietals a little bit more closely. So <laughs> I think it was loosely defined as wine. I think that was so they could sell it in the grocery store. Because there was nothing wine about any of those brands. <laughs> right. If you, get a, if you get a bottle of wine for $5 and get some change, you know that you're a But anyway, so we don't want to get too deep into yeah. that. We want to get into our very serious part of our program. And yes. we'd like to introduce uh, Coach Brian Shaw, who's now coaching with the Los Angeles Clippers. Uh, and we're glad to have him here. He's a homegrown here in the Bay Area, grew up here. I think I may have taught him a couple moves somewhere along the line, but I don't remember. <laughs> I can't go back that far, but he's been a very distinguished player uh, in college and he played in the pros, coached uh, both in Denver, uh, coached with the Lakers, uh, and has been, um, I think, a real a shining example of what an athlete should be about uh, here in the Bay Area, both with his, um, in terms of carrying himself professionally, but also his contribution to this community. So, uh, Brian, welcome to our program, and congratulations on your new uh, position uh, with the, uh, I can't even say, I can't even say the Clippers. Uh, you can just say the Clippers, it, it, it's okay, it, it's okay, it's okay. I can't fix my lips to say that. <laughs> yeah, well, well, thank you very much, and I appreciate you you all having me on. And it's it's easy for me to fix my fix my words to say the Clippers because mm -hmm. my loyalty. I grew up here in Oakland. I grew up a Warriors fan, but my loyalty is whoever signs my checks. <laughs> okay. well, that's easy for me to fix my mouth to say the Clippers. Well, you talk about context. <laughs> yes, context. Exactly. Exactly. Well, I want to welcome you to the program, and uh, I'm going to turn it over initially to Mr. Dean to ask you a few questions to begin our conversation. Sure. Well, our, our main conversation tonight is about children and sports, and so as a, as a coach at a professional level, um, and we know, especially at basketball, it, AAU goes all the way down to even the preteen era. It goes down. They start kids start playing at a very early age. They start traveling at a very early age. They start doing all those things. And so to on the hopes that they can play college ball and eventually make it to the NBA, what would you, at, from your level looking down, what would you say would be a, the 
right time for parents to get their kids involved in AAU or should they kind of stay in rec sports to a certain point? I, I really believe that it depends on, you know, the area you come from and the, and the programs that are available for you to, uh, you know, enroll your children in. Um, you know, there are some places that have really, really good AAU programs. Um, and I think that the earlier that you can get your kids involved in team sports, uh, in particular, the better, because uh, it teaches you about competition. It teaches you about working together as a unit unit to accomplish, uh, you know, a common goal. Um, but I think that as a parent, it's your responsibility to kind of research uh, the program itself and the coach um, that's going to be, you know, influencing your kid in one way or another um, and make, make, making sure that uh, it's the right fit for you, your schedule, and the development of your child. Absolutely. One of the things about coaches, you know, I think, uh, I don't think you can uh, overestimate the importance of what a coach is all about. So often our coaches are amateur people, parents themselves, really have never played sports or coached sports. What's important for a kid? Well, I'm not talking about you, Mr. Dean. What are the important uh, characteristics that parents should look for in a coach? Um, yeah. yeah, I think, um, you know, the same thing. I, I, I put it in this kind of in the same category, uh, coaches, parents, and teachers, right? I think that they're they're all pretty equivalent when it comes to dealing with, uh, with children. And so the same things that you would want in yourself as a parent, you should want uh, that in a coach or in a teacher, integrity, um, a value system that you believe in, um, and a positive, positively in, uh, you know, impact your child. What I do think is missing, especially here in the United States, is a certification program mm -hmm. um, there's there's levels to it in terms of um, the de the development of where your child is at six to ten years old is going to be different, you know. Once you get to eleven to fifteen, and then you know, and so on as you rise up uh, in age. And so I think that you know, Dr. Lenore, you just said it. Um, you have a lot of amateurs. You have parents that that are coaching teams in a lot of instances, especially when children are really young, some that are doing it for the wrong reason. Um, some are, are, you know, volunteering their time, but they have no idea of, uh, you know, the basics and the fundamentals that it takes to, to play that particular sport. And I think that, you know, because they're children, you, you, there should be a certification program um, that, kind of stamps you and validates you as somebody who's capable of uh, and has a pedigree to deal with uh, children at different developmental stages. And when you'll see, uh, uh, you know, different countries around the world, they have this in soccer um, in particular in different, in different countries where uh, coaches have to go through a program, they have to be certified um, in order to not only coach, but then to rise uh, in the coaching ranks as as kids get older. And I think that that's something that's missing um, that we have to get back to because after all, these are our children that they're spending a lot of time with and we got to make sure that, that they're doing the right things. So I noticed, you know, this past year, we saw that the name, image, and likeness has been removed, right? And so like now 
you start to see it already started creeping into college football where you've got some players that are now getting being able to make money off of their name, image, and likeness. And you know, as a play, as a former player, how hard that has been fought for over the years from Ed O'Bannon with the EA Sports and the whole nine. So it goes all the way back, many, many years. Maybe I'm dating myself <laughs> in, that, in that space. So what was your response when you saw that they lifted that kind of name, image, and likeness kind of hold that they had on collegiate athletes? And do you think that it will be kind of a free-for-all with regards to now there's just going to be this influx of cash into college sports, particularly football and basketball. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm really happy that, um, that the stranglehold was kind of loosened up, so to speak. Um, you know, the NC2A in particular, um, you know, have, have been, uh, you know, monopolizing yeah. all the money um, and resources um, off the back of, of these athletes for years and years and years. And that's why they fought it so hard. Yes. Um, in terms of it being a free-for-all, I, I, I think that a lot of people are misled because there's still going to be a select few that uh, it's not like just because you're in high school and you think you're pretty good or you're you know in college and you think you're pretty good that you're going to be able to choose um, these situations and get paid for them. They're still going to be, you know, uh, go after the cream of the crop in terms of who they give those um uh, resources too for for name image and likeness and so um you know for instance i just got finished coaching the g league ignite team and, and this past okay. year was they the, were very good by the way congratulations you. getting uh they were the guy that just went what in the top five the other night right yeah i had, I had two players that were drafted uh, uh, Jalen green drafted second and jonathan kaminga here with the warriors drafted seventh uh in the draft and and so it was the first year of the program um they got paid uh, to come and play, um, which it was the first of its kind. And, um, but they were still the cream of the crop. Right. And so, and they were chosen. They didn't, they, I mean, ultimately they ended up choosing us, but we chose, identified them and chose them. And so what it does is it opens the door for them to kind of get a head start on what it's going to be like as a professional, once you sign your name on the dotted line and you start getting paid to play this game that up until this point, you've just played for the love of it and for the competition of it. And so for good or bad, you start to be introduced to all the things that uh, that come with that. Right. The responsibility, the moral obligations. Um, you know, we we introduced them to financial literacy training and media training, and the business of basketball and all of these type of things. And so. Um, you know, some of the normal life skills um, that they're going to be faced with, I think not only in sports, but just in school, in the curriculum, there should be classes and courses that teach you how to balance a checkbook and, you know, and do some of the some of the uh, staples that you need in everyday life that kids don't get um, exposed to. You know, I still remember what pi is, right? Uh, 3.14159 approximately. I've never ever in my life had to apply that to anything, but here it is 40 years after, after, you know, high school, almost 40 years after high school, I still can remember what it is. And right. so I think that there are things that, that can be part of the curriculum that, that kids can apply and use more so than just the standard things that, that they teach you in the textbook that, that'll help you along in life. Uh, more so than some of those some of those type of things. 
how, how do you, uh, one of the things that we see uh, all the time is that uh, many parents try to live uh, their athletic careers through their children. Uh, and, how do you, and you can tell, I can remember, uh, just to give you an anecdote that I like, love, I love baseball, play a lot of little league baseball, a lot of non-hole baseball. And a guy in my neighborhood named James Newbill, who didn't do anything. He would sit on the steps and laugh and joke and you know, criticize us for doing anything uh, positive. And so one day we took him to the baseball field. Man, I, he ellipsed us almost in the next month. He was hitting the baseball all over the field. Uh, and so uh, when parents put kids in sports, how often do you think that they over that they overemphasize uh, the and and have uh, often um, uh, an outrageous, sometimes outrageous expectations. And how do you manage that? Well, you know, it's it's unfortunate, but there are a percentage of parents that live vicariously through their kids. One, um, because maybe in their athletic lives when they were younger, they didn't accomplish, uh, you know, what they wanted to, and they want, and then also they see. Um, how these players are being compensated in this day and age. Uh, you know, I mean, guys that we saw, you, you know, we're talking about the Bay Area. Steph Curry just signed his second um, $200 plus million contract, right? A four-year extension for $215 million. So as parents see that, immediately they say, I'm wanting, I, I got to get my child to start playing sports and I got to push him and push him and push him so that they can get to that point and, and try to make that money when, in fact, they have a much better chance of uh, becoming a, a brain surgeon or, uh, you know, the district attorney or maybe even the president of the United States um, as opposed to this professional athlete and making that kind of salary. And so um, you have to try to temper those expectations. Um, it makes it not so much fun for the kid if the parents is overzealous like that and pushing them. Um, especially if it's something that they don't really genuinely have a love for, um, you know. And so, to answer that question, you know, I don't know what you really what you really can do, um, but there are a percentage of parents that are out there that are a little bit too pushy, um, and they can get away with that up to a certain point. And if their child is, um, you know, we had a, a Lonzo Ball. Yeah. Uh, on our team when I was coaching with the Lakers, who everybody kind of knows who his father and LeVar Ball, who very outspoken and what have you. Now, he's, he had three sons that, you know, that, that he thought would all be in the NBA. So Lonzo was the first, and then there was Leangelo, who didn't has, hasn't really made it and, um, and stuck in the NBA, and then LaMelo Ball, who was the rookie of the year this past year. Um, but with each kid, you started to see – less and less of LeVar. Um, he was really, really pushy and, and, and like I said, overly uh, involved with Lonzo. Um, but what he, what he had to find out quickly is once they start getting paid, the organizations are not going to let, take their direction from, from, from the parent. And so that has to somehow, that message has to kind of trickle down uh, at the lower levels, when you when you deal with uh, you know with parents that are are, are a little pushy, um, that they can't uh, you know that they're not running the program, they have to trust in their coaches. Um, now it, it's it's fine to try to motivate your kids and try to push them, but 
in a lot of instances like that, it makes it so that it's not fun. And that's where a lot of kids, you know, they, they bow out and, uh, and do something else because they just don't want to want to feel that pressure from their parents. Parents, parents can be the worst. They can be the best and the worst thing to youth sports. You know, cause I, I, I coached my son up until he got to, to middle school and we would like, you know, I would have those parents and they would come up after every practice, after every game. What do you think? Why didn't you play him? Why didn't you do it? And you go, first of all, let him get to puberty before you start, you know, talk, trying to make him it, it, his pro career. Like, let, let his body change and see what happens at that point. So that's right. a big marker because some kids grow and they grow tall. Some kids don't, <laughs> some kids, you know, and they lose that speed that they had. So puberty changes a lot of things. So you got to let them get to puberty. And then the other thing is you can push your kids out of sports just as much as you push them in because right. if they feel like if you're sending the message that, this is the most important thing to that you do this, then that kid might not enjoy it anymore because it's not that it's not about them. It's about the parent. And so we and, always make that balance. And, and once again, going back to the question about coaching, right? Mm-hmm. Coaching in sports is, is really one of the most important um, positions that you can have. And that's why I talked about certification. Um, a friend of mine who I went to elementary school, we, we went to school together from fifth grade all the way up through ninth grade before we split in terms of high school. He never played any sports of any kind at all, at, at all whatsoever. Um, I didn't see him for years and years and years. And then when my, you know, I grew up, got married, my son uh, was five years old. My friend, I bumped into him. His son was exactly the same age, five. And he was coaching our kids team and I went up to him and I said you know I said you I said Michael you you never played sports in your life how in the world did you end up being the coach of this it was it was actually a program called the junior warriors and he said to me and this is a true story he said do you know how many single mothers are bringing their kids their sons in to play basketball and so his motive for coaching the team was to try to get at the single mothers who were bringing their kids in, right? Wow. And so that was the first time in my mind that it, it that that it registered to me how important it is to have, you know, somebody who's qualified um, and certified right. to to be in that position to be coaching our kids. And so as I started to come around more um, and come to practice, the kids were just doing whatever they wanted to do. And, and you look over and you see him in the bleachers talking to all the single mothers, <laughs> but that's, that was, that was his thing. And that's why, and, and then, you know, it's a shame that you have yeah. something like that as the coach of your, of your child's team. It's funny, but it's sad too. And, and, and you see because coaching really, especially at a younger age is really about encouragement and getting them to love the game and getting them to learn the game the right way. Right. Yeah, I think that's, that's an important issue. What should you, what should you expect? What are the things you expect your children to learn from sports and from the beginning? I mean, what what are the what are the dynamics that sports bring to the development of a child, say who's in the elementary school or or uh, just getting started? Well, I, I think uh, the element of hard work, um, and I think that that translates across the board in not just sports but in everything else. Um, we have a saying, when you pay your dues, your dues pay you back, right? And so um, when, you, when you put your work in, 
um, it'll show. And if you don't put your work in, that'll, that'll show as well. So one is hard work. One is the development of a certain mentality that it takes to not just play sports, but to compete at the highest level and be the best player that you could possibly be. And so developing that mentality, um, which includes hard work um, and what comes from hard work is, is a critical part of it, um, you know, as well. And then, you know, as I mentioned earlier, um, if it's a team sport, just learning how to um, work together as a team, how to how to do whatever role it is that you play on that team, do that role the best. Um, you know, in basketball, there's only five players on the court and there's only one basketball. So everybody would love to have the ball in their hand all the time, but you, you can't. So one person, usually the point guard, or just like in football, if it's the quarterback, has the ball, and then everybody else has a specific role that they have to play. And so I feel as a coach that it's more important to, you know, everybody for the most part can play when they have the ball in their hand, but it's more important that 80%, if all things being equal in basketball with one ball and five players, you have the ball 20% of the time, the other 80% of the time you don't. So it's, it's as important or more important to learn how to do what you need to do that other 80% of the time when you don't have the ball um, in your hand. And so playing from a young age, um, these are some of the things that you start to learn how to do. And then when you get to old enough to recognize um, and be able to make a comparison, then now you can say, oh, okay, I'm sitting in the classroom and the grades are on the curve. So I know that I have to put in my work and study this well enough so that I get the, the best grade so that I'm not down here and I'm not getting left behind. And a lot of things that are that happen in sports, like I said, translates to every other aspect of life. It's just a subset of what, what goes on in society. And it's, it's a good teacher um, in preparing you for, for what that is. So I think like what he's saying is, is discipline, uh, uh, overcoming adversity, uh, working together, um, and, and being able to, you know, push through and find and push your limits out further, right? So, you know, we know that coaches are going to push you, sports are going to push you, and you understand, hey, I'm not going to quit at this point because I've been pushed farther than that. I've been pushed harder than that. So I know my limit is further out. And so therefore I can take on more things and I can take on more challenges because I've been prepared for that through the medium of sports. Yeah. And, and it's not just, uh, you know, and if, if you're not uh, a person that is willing to work together as with a team and, 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 and play a specific role, um, then there's individual sports, you know, there's tennis, right. there's golf, um, yep. and things of that nature that you can do if you just want to only count on yourself and the amount of work. Because when you're with a team, you know, the, the team is only strong as strong as, it, as its weakest link. So right. if you're not pulling your weight, um, it's that's going to show. And usually you don't want to let your teammates down, right? So you put in your <laughs> But if you are if you are a slacker and whatever else, um, or you just don't work well with 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 teammates, then you should take up an individual sport, and then you'll find out if you're really cut out for that or not. Because if you're not putting in the work, um, you know, you're not going to excel and 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 and, uh, and win anything. What about the elephant in the room? That's injuries to younger children uh, and adolescents. And that uh, pretty much knocked them 
out of the whole process of athletic development? Yeah, so I, I, I believe strongly in the fact that I'm 55. And when, when I was coming up, you know, from the ages of, I probably started playing team sports uh, at eight years old when I was in the fourth grade. And, um, but we played basketball during basketball season. Then we played football during football season. We played baseball during baseball season. Um, but we didn't play all year round. Uh, one particular sport all year round. And so now I think that the injuries and things that we're seeing, um, especially in, in, in uh, younger people, is because uh, the sports that they're playing now are, are year round. When they finish basketball season, then AAU season starts, right? And that goes all the way through the summer. Um, they have club sports that, that continue to go. And so you don't allow, especially while your muscles and everything's are, everything is um, are still growing, you don't allow them any rest, right? Yeah. And so when we stop playing basketball, your basketball muscles that you use stop. And then you use a different set of muscles when you're playing baseball and a different set of muscles when you're playing football. And so in each of those seasons, even though you're still competing and playing sports, you're still allowing – um, those other joints and things to to rest. Now we're seeing, like I said, kids playing a, a sport all year round. And can you imagine if you're playing baseball, which is typically in the springtime and goes into the summer, and then you play winter ball, and you're playing yeah. in the wintertime, and you're a pitcher as, as a young kid, and you're throwing curveballs at an early age, and you're doing it all year round, you're just like anything else, like a tire, it only has so much tread on it, right? And so mm -hmm. once you wear it down, you can't put that tread back on the tire. And so um, that's what I think that we're we're seeing. Everybody's tread is being worn down at, 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 a, at a really, really young age. And even though we have advancements in technology and things of that nature to help build muscle and, and, and maintain what you have and, and, and you know, to pr help prevent injury, there's still only so much wear and tear that it can take. And so even the great Kobe Bryant, who I had the, the privilege of playing with and coaching the 20 year, he played for 20 years as a guard. That's really, really tough to do, but you start to see guys slow down because like I said, there's only so much tread on the tire. And, and so what you see professionally, they've are, they've also had to go through, they had practices every single day in college and, high school and all the way down. And so as the years start to add up, um, you know, everything else starts to tear down. And so we have to monitor that a lot more closely, especially with with young kids um, in terms of not letting them play one sport all year round. Yeah, I, I think uh, and and with us having better you know, more information now as parents, we think we got to do a better job of having uh, teaching our kids how to care for their bodies. Right. And so eating right, getting the proper amount of rest, you know, all of those things come into, in, into play. And there is challenges because if my son plays two sports, he, he at one point he played four. But to your point, we couldn't get the, the season and the coaches be like, well, he's got to go to football. He's got to do this, you know? And I'm like, I'm, I'm going to try to keep him play multiple sports as much as possible for that reason, just to give his body a chance to rest. And each sport has a different kind of 
uh, plus to it, right? You learn something different in football than you do in baseball or than you do in basketball. So all of those those lessons and, and that overall body training, I think it, it helped him. But we do have a good question. Um, this is from Shauna. She's saying, as a parent, what should you do if you believe a coach doesn't have what it takes to effectively coach a team? For example, if you're paying significant money for your child to play club volleyball, but determine that the coach may be over their head, how do you navigate that situation? Um, I, well, I think that that's a good question. And I think you have to operate based on how you feel, um, you know, about that situation. And if you recognize that, um, you know, you can have a conversation with the coach, if you know enough about the sport, you can pull your child from that. You can do individual um, training with somebody who is qualified, who does have the pedigree, um, you know, based on based on their past and what. And, and like I said, and that's why I think there's a need to have a certain certification program uh, mm -hmm. for our coaches here in the state because um, what she, the question that she asks, is it's a, it's a, it's common. Um, and, it, and it happens more so than, 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 than we need it to happen, you know, and, and there are a lot of coaches that are over their head. And I think that um, I know just like, you know, I, I didn't go to a coach's clinic until I was, uh, you know, till probably 10 years ago. Um, and the very first one that I went to, ironically enough, happened to be at the Clippers uh, practice facility. And Phil Jackson and Pat Riley and Doc Rivers and Mike Brown and Mike D'Antoni, some of the top coaches that were in the game um, actually came together in this clinic and they shared ideas and their philosophies and what have you. Um, and I think that you just, you always have to be willing to have a beginner's brain and beginning and be willing to learn um, even when you are considered uh, you know, like Phil Jackson was considered the Zen master, right? But he still participated in the coaches clinics because everybody has different ways of doing things and what have you. And and a, 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 a teacher learns as much from a student or a coach learns as much from a player as a player learns from a coach. And so, um, you know, the 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 certification thing is is is, is one, but I think that um, as a parent, if you if you recognize that this coach is over their, their head, maybe you do some research into another program or another coach um, that has a stellar reputation reputation um, because it is your child and you always want to do what's best for your child and um, you know and that's that's it's, it's a tough situation because the other thing that you don't want to do is is allow. I mean, I, I think it. It's just like if you go to a school and your and your child is advanced and they're not being challenged in the classroom, right? Then you can either play them up um, in sports to the next age group up um, or in school, you know, I skipped a grade. So I went to first grade for like the first month of school and then my teacher recognized something in me at a conference with my parents and then, um, and then moved me up into the second grade after a month because what I was learning in the first grade wasn't challenging um, me to that point. And so, um, you know, things of that nature, you know, where, where if you think the coach is over his head, um, you may want to, like I said, move to a different program. And that's different than moving to a different program because this coach isn't playing your kid or, you know, yeah. whatever the case yeah. may be. 
Yeah, I, I was going to say that because like, there's some there's some parents out there that that team hop because their kid yeah. they don't like their kid is getting enough playing time or they're not their kid their child's not getting showcased even though they're on the court they're not getting showcased enough they're not getting enough shots and so you, you don't want to run the risk of, of of looking like a team hopper but you do want to make sure that your child is getting developed um, and 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 progressing in their sport at their level. You know, right. so they may not be progressing at the level of the best players, but if they're progressing at their level, then you might be in a good situation. For sure. Let me ask how how has the COVID epidemic, and how should the COVID epidemic, uh, change sports and uh, and parents and and children's involvement in sports? Well, it, it's changed it in that it, it's made us more aware of. Um, I would say, for one, cleanliness and hygiene, and um, and some of the things that we've taken for granted, you know, for years and years and years. Um, you know, in sports, you share uh, a lot of the same, whether it's towels or water bottles or whatever, you know, whatever it may have been. And, and so now, I think this this pandemic has kind of awakened us, uh, you know, to some of these things. And so. Um, even though it's a, it's terrible, the pandemic has been terrible. There has been a silver lining in it, in terms of, like I said, awakening the, awakening us to uh, uh, some of these things. And so, um, taking precautions or or cleaning things the way that they probably sh- should be cleaned um, after something is used, and, and just kind of staying on top of that um, are areas that hopefully we can take forward. Uh, you know, but I mean, we had a, a very, very strict protocol in the NBA as well as in the G League last year um, that we had to follow based on the um, the the advice of the professionals, the doctors um, who recommended that we wear masks, that we social distance, um, that there, at the height of the pandemic, we could only work with one player, one coach, one basket. Um, and we had to trust what they were telling us and we had to follow um, that protocol and we had to test every day. And I, I know that not everyone is uh, has access has access to that, but um, you control what you're able to control and the social distancing you can control. The wearing a mask is what you can control sterilizing and, 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 and cleaning um, things that are areas that are going to be used in common um, with your teammates and your opponent is something that 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 you can control, um, you know, and so I think you just control what you can control um, and, and, and listen to the professionals. And I, I understand the trepidation and the the um, the the hesitation to when it comes to a lot of things, especially in the medical field, because of the distrust that has developed over years, particularly among black people and, 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 and people of color when it comes to uh, the medical field. But if you don't trust, uh, then, then turn to a network like what, you know, like what you all are doing, right? Black doctors organization um, and, and follow, you know, you, you all are the, the pros um, and, and follow what you're recommending um, to help in these situations. Um, you know, I mean, it's like I said, it was a terrible situation, but there was a silver lining in that. And hopefully we can, um, you know, get better at some of those things that we can control. 
Yeah, what do you think? One of the things that surprises me is how many athletes are not getting vaccinated. I mean, mm -hmm. everybody says, well, you know, I missed a shot here. Or I forgot the second dose. Uh, but a lot of them are just simply not getting vaccinated. Uh, and uh, do you think that, uh, obviously, football has said, said, hey, you don't want to get vaccinated, we understand, but you're not going to be able to play. You're not going to be able to. Your team's going to forfeit games. So what do you think, how many, what percentage do you think might not be vaccinated and what do you have to tell them on the team? Well, you know, and that's that's tough. I mean, there there is a percentage of athletes that do not want to get vaccinated for whatever reasons, uh, you know, they don't believe in it, it could be religious beliefs, um, you know, whatever the case may be. And unfortunately, um, you know, I don't think that there is anything that we can do other than uh, continue to urge them, not only for their own safety, but the safety of their loved ones and the people that, that they're around every day, um, that, that they should be vaccinated. Um, I think the other thing is, if you're gonna be participating in sports, if you're going to be uh, attending school where you're going to be around other people um, that you can affect, then and there should be mandates that are put in place that if you don't, um, you know, get vaccinated, then you may not be able to participate. And especially on the professional ranks, if it's if you're getting paid um, and there's and then you don't get vaccinated and there's a possibility that you're not going to get paid, I bet you a lot more guys would, uh, would, would get vaccinated um, you know, when it comes down to it. But, um, you know, it's, 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 it's tough. Um, you know, like I said, everybody has their reasons, but, um, and I think it, that comes down, like I said, more to just the distrust um, from the years and years of, uh, and it was funny, I, I was at uh, El Torito's uh, for Taco Tuesdays yesterday. And I heard there were some, some gentlemen, they were, they were actually uh, Indian American. And they were talking, they were having a conversation next to me about why so many African Americans are hesitant um, to, to get vaccinated. And they, were, they, couldn't, they couldn't remember exactly. They were like, it's something called the Tuskegee something. And, and you know, and it was funny. I didn't, I didn't chime in. I just listened, you know, listened to their perspective um, from, the, from the sideline. But, um, you know, they were, they, were, they were right. You know, there, there is this hesitancy um, because of the distrust and all the things that have happened to us in particular. Um, you know, going back years and years. And, um, you know, I think at some point um, we have to let, we, you, you still, you remember it, but you have to still let some of it go um, in order for us to be able to move forward. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. We did the, um, we had a, a, a symposium this past week. Um, and we put some, some videos on the, the Black Doctor YouTube page from the actual descendants of the people that, were part of that that Tuskegee uh, study that was done. and so they they talk they talk to that subject exactly what you're talking about, um, Brian. Is that they're saying okay, we've got to remember what happened. We can't forget what happened, but we do have to move on, and we do have to be you know be able to progress. In order to progress, we've got to be able to move beyond it. Otherwise, we're going to get left out of a lot of different things. Like if we didn't participate in these clinical trials to develop the vaccines they might not be as effective in terms of protecting, 
you know, black Americans, because we have to see when you're doing clinical trials, you have to see how it impacts you know, people of multiple ethnicities. And so that that's a big push. And so I, I think um, it's definitely something you're right about the distrust and we have to do a better job. Um, the healthcare, anybody that works in healthcare around healthcare has to do a better job of making sure of, of helping black Americans overcome that. Yeah. You know, I'm thinking that uh, this has been a really good discussion. I think a lot of parents are still confused about how to be good parents uh, in um, sports and also uh, how to select coaches that are, are, you know, qualified and good role models for your children. A lot of them are still worried about injuries uh, and certainly about the COVID uh, situation. But I think sports is so critical and important to the development of character that we're going to work all this out. So, uh, Brian. Know your child. Can I, can I just say one quick thing? As no, a parent no. of an athlete, you got to know your child. you got to know your child. And so I, 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 I coached my son for a long time. And then at, at some point, um, we, we, could be, we couldn't be father-son. It was always coach, you know, player, even at home. And, you know, as a coach, you're, you're, you're critical. You always want you pushing and, and want your players to be better. And I found myself doing that even at home. Oh, uh, you know, you could do this better. You could do that better. And it impacted our relationship. And I recognized it. Thankfully, I recognized it. And I said, you know what? I got to stop coaching. Him. And I started and I stopped coaching and I became parent. And I sat in the stands and I cheered and I let somebody else handle the coaching part. And, and I'll be there supportive and, and take him to his lessons and clinics and all that stuff. But I couldn't be coaching more. I needed to be dad. And I think that helped our relationship in a, in a big way. For, for sure. I, the first thing, you have to be the best parent that you can be yourself yeah. right and so you may not be able to parent like you know this family next to you or that family next to you you have to do what's what's best for you myself personally from the beginning i've never i've never coached my kids um no. and i and and you know it's funny because fortunately for me basketball has one it paid for my 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 college education mm -hmm. uh, it allowed me to travel all over the world it has allowed me to provide um, security, financial security, and and to to live uh, well in terms of a certain lifestyle that that we live as a family, right? And so, of course, as a father who has uh, kids who are athletically inclined, I wanted them to kind of follow in that 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 in in those footsteps. Right. To, to have a chance for whatever sport to provide the same thing that basketball has always provided for me, right? And to live the lifestyle and have the luxuries and things that, 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 they, that they were afforded. Um, but with that being said, I still took a step back and I've never pressured, you know, my son didn't pick up a basketball until, uh, you know, almost uh, until he was almost a teenager. Because we lived in Manhattan Beach when I was down in L.A. around mostly white people who um, the, the, the kids his age, they skateboarded um, they, and, they, and they surfed. Right. And right. So that's what he did. Um, so I allowed him to do that. And then as he started to grow and knew that skateboarding wasn't going to be a part of his, <laughs> his, his future, um, he started to pick up a basketball. And I, was, I always say, look, son, I'm, I'm uh, for my son and my daughter. Um, I'm here for you when you're ready and you want to do this. You know, obviously this is what I've done. And so I can help you with it as much as you want to be helped. But I've st stood aside, 
just for those reasons that you just mentioned and right. always remain the dad and let everybody else coach him. And, and, and I usually tried to put him with people that I knew um, yeah. that knew what they were, you know, that knew what they were talking about and, and what had some integrity um, behind them. And that, that's, you know, that's worked well for me. And, you know, my kids won't play professional sports, but we have a good relationship. They're great kids. They're smart. They're going to be responsible members of society. Um, you know, and that's all that I can really ask for. And they'll find their own, they'll find their own way. And, and that's good enough. Right. Absolutely. And that's a good place to end our conversation. So thank you, uh, Brian, and congratulations on your new position. I'm sure they'll move up in the rankings and <laughs> in the playoff. But because uh, Kawhi, Kawhi's got that, uh, he's got that knee injury. So yeah, he'll, he'll be out he'll most of the season. Out. Yeah. He's got a partially torn ACL, so he might not be able to start off um, at the season where, where he wants to be. So, but PG would look good in the playoffs, uh, and uh, we'll see. And then you got the you got the geriatrics uh, across the way. Um, <laughs> <laughs> hey, but you know what? I, lo- I what I know for a fact: never discount experience. So no, no, no. They, no. they, they may have to slow the game down. They're not going to be able to get up and down with uh, you know some of these young teams. But you know they've been there and done that. So yeah. they're going to be like the, like you used to go to the blacktop. It'd be the old man out there with the, with the church <laughs> light on, right. and, he was, and he was giving buckets to everybody that wanted. <laughs> <laughs> uh, right. See, I think I think you know you. You you have you don't want to you're one of those people with fading expectations as the season goes along. <laughs> we appreciate Brian for taking the time. I think your messages are very valuable, uh, and we hope that parents who are listening to us uh, will take uh, understand that each kid is different. Each kid has a different potential. Sports can give them a lot of things, but it may not give you a new home. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much, and we want to. Those of you who took the time to listen. Well, have to a great season, Brian. I, I promise you that. Have a great season, and and we're gonna. Even though you you know you got your Warriors fan, and I'm here represent from a Hawk, uh, but uh, we're gonna be pulling for you as a coach to continue on uh, and have a, and have a successful season. I appreciate that. Thank you guys for having me. For those of us looking, remember health is your biggest asset. Next week, I think we'll be back with diabetes. Uh, we'll see. Well, thank you so much, Doctor Lenore. Remember, listeners, Black Doctors Speak is a weekly podcast sponsored by the African American Wellness Project, the Markel Lenore Endowment, and the Dan Weinstein Family Fund. Continue the conversation with us on social media at Black Doctors Speak, on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn, and at Black Doc Speak on Twitter. If you enjoyed our show, please remember to hit the subscribe button so that new episodes are delivered directly to you every week, as well as rate us on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And remember, listening to our show is as simple as telling your Alexa, Siri, or Google to play the Black Doctor Speak podcast. Take care, everyone.